Hi, Fresh Capital listeners. For those of you who are new to the show, the aim of the game is for Albert and I to pitch the business case of a company to each other, work out what we like and dislike, and if we're lucky, conclude if it's a company we're interested in. A reminder, this is not a recommendation or financial advice. This is a way for Albert and I to have fun applying what we've learned about investing from our careers and life. Always do your own research, always make your own decisions, and consult a financial advisor before you jump in. Welcome to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week, we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn how companies operate. My name is Dan, and I'm joined by my good friend, Albert. Albert, how are you going? I'm good, Dan. I think this is an exciting episode. Uh, we're looking at Redbubble today. It's RBL on the ASX. It's actually a, a business I've been looking at a lot recently because I'm trying to buy a bit of wall art um, for my background uh, on Zoom calls. So I, I stared back into a, a plain white wall in my room. So when you know I'm on a Zoom call, you just see my face, a very basic white wall. I want to spice it up a bit with a bit of wall art so that when I'm on calls, you know, it looks like I've got a, a pretty fancy bedroom. So I've been on Redbubble a lot. So I'm excited that we're kind of talking about this today. Seems like you're a little bit late to the trend of Zoom backgrounds. But uh, look, if you've got the money to splurge, Albert, then go for the real thing in the background. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I could, you know, I could always reorient my room so that, you know, that you can see my bookshelf or my, my plants. But at the moment, um, the white wall needs to get spruced up a bit. How are you? I'm doing well. From Sydney from my Christmas New Year's break. Uh, everyone's wearing masks. It's a little bit dystopian in this end of Australia, but uh, I'm going to get used to it and looking forward to it to work tomorrow. Very good. Very good. I'm sure you're the only person looking forward to work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, let's talk about Redbubble. Uh, so Redbubble, really interesting business. They're an online marketplace that enables kind of artists and contact content creators uh, to connect and sell their designs and artistic works for customers around the globe. Uh, so I guess if you're an artist looking to monetize some design work or some artwork that you've created, um, when I say artwork, I mean digital art, uh, you can upload your design to Redbubble, who will then make this design available on products such as t-shirts, printed canvases, posters, iPhone cases, homewares, and so forth. Um, they've got a pretty broad product suite. Um, so you can have your, you know, your design printed on all these different products, pillows, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then customers who like your product or you like your design can then buy it and um, have this very personalized product. So the value for artists is that they can use Redbubble as a platform to monetize some of their design work and the value for the customer uh, is that they can then support these artists who they really like and get a product that's incredibly personalized and not something that's readily available, um, you know, in, in traditional bricks and mortar retail stores. I guess in addition to this kind of marketplace offering that they've got, they've also started to partner with a lot of well-known pop cultural brands such as like Rick and Morty, Star Trek, um, the TV show Billions, uh, to use Redbubble as their platform to create and sell licensed content. So instead of these brands, you know, doing it themselves, uh, they use Redbubble to then make T-shirts, you know, mugs, et cetera, um, which then helps these brands 
monetize merchandise and turn, you know, fans um, of these TV shows and content into customers. So, you know, both really interesting businesses, um, their shift into cultural brands or something new, um, recent as FY15, sorry, FY19. Um, but, you know, they're really excited to expand, you know, all their different content creators and how they onboard new artists onto their platform. Does that give a pretty good um, kind of indication on what Redbubble is, Dan, and how they, you know, generate value for their customers? It's a, it's a good overview, Albert. I might just throw a couple of figures in there as well. So in the last year, they had uh, 511,000 selling artists. So as you're saying, these are people who have made a doodle, made a design, uh, and they've slapped it on a product and managed to sell it. Uh, they earned, those artists earned a total of 67 million. All these figures are in Australian dollars. Um, so obviously, and, and a big part of Redbubble's mission is incorporating these artists as almost like a business partner. They want them to be successful as they are successful. They attracted 6.8 million customers uh, and they bought $474 million worth of products from those artists. Uh, the products are created from 41 fulfillment locations all over the world. Uh, so they've got many bases, Redbubble, all of In terms of the breakdown of their transactions by region, predominantly it's North America with 69% of their total business being transacted in the USA. Uh, the EU is 14%, UK is 10%, Australia, New Zealand is 5%, rest of the world is 1%. So that gives some of the figures about Redbubble. One of the things I wanted to dive into, Albert, was this concept of flywheel dynamics, which is a bit of a buzzword throughout their annual reports. Um, the idea, if you can picture a flywheel, which is you know, one of those sort of wheels that spins in the wind, uh, the idea being that the more wind that spins, it sort of keeps turning, keeps turning and generates its own momentum. Here you have a platform and as they articulate, you know, if you don't have any sellers, then you won't have any buyers. But as you get more sellers on the, on the platform, then there's more reason, more products for buyers to visit and buy things. And as more buyers are buying on the platform, that incentivizes sellers to get onto the platform as well. And so you get into this sort of arms race where, more sellers, more buyers are coming onto the platform because it's the place to be. It's the place where sellers can earn money and buyers can get the right product for them. And you get this flywheel dynamic where it creates its own momentum uh, and then starts generating revenue at an exponential rate. Does that, is that a good summation of the flywheel dynamic, Albert? Yeah, that's, I really like that. Um, I just want to throw in that, uh, although it is a bit of a, a buzzword, some of the most really successful businesses um, you know, describe their, the structure of how they operate using a flywheel. And so one of the really big ones and, you know, the most influential is the Disney flywheel. You, you know, Google the Disney flywheel, you can find an image of um, the original Disney flywheel that was sketched by Walt Disney, which shows how Disney was going to expand to all these different um, product lines, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I, I really like thinking about businesses in a flywheel because oh, I like businesses that think about their business in a flywheel because it means they are constantly thinking about how they optimize and where they optimize their business and then what flow on effects have from that optimization. Um, but yeah, I think let's kind of dive into this flywheel a bit. Uh, Cause I think this is one of the, 
most interesting and attractive parts of um, Redbubble's flywheel. So if I kind of dive into what you've said, you know, you've got artists, loyal customers and fulfillment and options. What makes the flywheel so successful in my mind, especially Redbubble's flywheel, is that as you get more artists on board, you can harness the network effects of that on the business. And like you said, it means you get more customers, which means that how they deliver services and products to these customers gets better because they can leverage more, um, you know, economies of scale, the unit economics gets better. Um, you know, they can easily work out where to place more fulfillment locations based on their customers or optimize for different products that their customers want. Similarly, if you get more loyal customers, you'll get more artists, which then kind of reinforces that flywheel completely. I guess a, a good analogy is like maybe Uber drivers. You know, if you have more people on the Uber app looking for um, more Uber drivers, then more Uber drivers will switch from other ride-sharing apps to Uber. Conversely, if you have more Uber drivers and more availability of drivers um, on the app, it means that customers are more likely to use Uber because they don't have to wait for as long to get a car. So I really like businesses who can harness these sort of network effects because I think as the business grows and expands, it just accentuates their competitive advantage. So once they've got a competitive advantage, it just keeps building and building and building. They don't have to keep reinvesting in changing how they differentiate the services or, or changing how um, you know, they deliver services to customers in order to stay competitive. I think that's a really good analogy with, with Uber. Essentially, this is, uh, you know, the platform business model. It's the same as Facebook and social media. Once more people are on the platform, it incentivizes more users to again get onto the platform and it becomes this self-serving uh, behemoth, really. My question for Redbubble is, uh, you know, can a... Can a marketplace which really originated from you know funky graphic tees really build up a loyal enough following that you can have this flywheel effect that will generate revenue at the scale that you'd you'd want as one of these businesses and for me when i think of red bubble i think christmas time shopping i might get this funky quirky t-shirt mug or something for someone maybe it's a, a chris kringle it's for an office uh, present or gift but I'm, I don't feel like I'm shopping on Redbubble for myself. You know, I think it's one of those one-off gifts or presents, which means that I'm not a customer who's going to be coming back to the store every month buying a new thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely agree with that. Like if you think about the customer journey, you probably want to show your personality a bit, which is why you go to a, a marketplace like Redbubble. And the best way to show your personality is through a printed t-shirt that has a cool, a cool meme or something <laughs> or like a cool design that then sparks the conversation around this is um, the artist. But there's actually a bit of data to um, kind of dispel your point, Dan. So uh, in the annual report, they go through their product contribution as a percentage of um, revenue. And so if you have a look, um, you know, in FY16, so, you know, five years ago, t-shirt sales actually made up the bulk of their revenue, they were making up about 51% of marketplace revenue. But now that's actually gone down to 38%. So the proportion of Redbubble's customers who are buying t-shirts is actually shrinking. 
And what's making up the gap are customers who are looking to buy, you know, homewares, you know, a bit of artwork, um, stickers and stationery have become really big. And so I think even though people want to show off their personality or buy a bit of a funky t-shirt, you know, the trend now is shifting towards people wanting to buy more personalized homewares and artwork or items for their home and less about funky t-shirts. I think you might be in the, um, the, the minority here, Dan, as a customer, um, because the other data point I have to back up this argument is that 40% of their customers are actually repeat customers. And so I think once people get a bit of a, a hook on the personalization that comes from Redbubble, um, you know, they're likely to come back and buy something else. Well, that's right. And I, I looked at that figure and that was pretty heartening for me as well. I guess when I look at the difference between, you know, five years ago, financial year 16, about 50% of sales coming from T-shirts and now it's at about 38. And you think of the revenue growth over that period, while yes, the proportion of sales for T-shirts has reduced, uh, in terms of volume, it's still, you know, however much they're generating on T-shirts now would far outstrip what they were five years ago. So as a volume game, they're still selling a ton of T-shirts it's still, a ton, yes, yes, absolutely it's still a ton of their their revenue pie. And one of the things we discussed before we hopped on the podcast is it's is that Redbubble is really vague about the specifics of how they generate revenue by particular product. So we're not sure about the margins on t-shirts. Is it do they get a better margin on t-shirts compared to posters or stickers? And without that sort of information it's hard to tell whether they want to be driving down the proportion of T-shirts they're selling because maybe it's a low margin product compared to stickers, which is a high margin one. And maybe they want to be redirecting more of their business towards stickers. Without that sort of information, I think we're, we're sort of playing in the dark a little bit. And my question is, well, why isn't that data a little bit more available? Like, Why is there this vagueness over some of the behind operations of Redbubble is it because those are numbers which they don't want to be disclosing or sharing? And you know, you don't want to draw you don't want to draw a negative inference from a lack of information. It could be for whatever reason. But that's a question mark for me as an investor of, well, there's a little bit of uncertainty there. Yes. And I think, you know, we talked about this before we jumped on the call. Um, you know, if I had a thousand dollars to invest in Redbubble versus I guess a benchmark ETF, would I invest in Redbubble or not? I think I'm leaning towards yes, a very hesitant yes. And the reason for a, a hesitant yes is because I think that flywheel is, makes them a very attractive and competitive business. But what's holding me back is the, what you've just said now, which is the lack of detail around the costs behind and the unit economics behind each of their product categories, homeware, t-shirts, artwork, et cetera, et cetera. Because you might be right, you know, maybe they wanna be over-indexing in t-shirts because that is the more profitable part of their business and not homewares, um, even though revenue has gone up. But I think a good indicator, which probably can help um, kind of ease the pain a bit or kind of ease your query is that over the past, you know, five years or so, they have started to become profitable. Like they're operating EBITDA, um, which is their kind of profit before tax depreciation amortization has increased as their product mix has also changed. So there were about negative 4.9 mil in FY16, 
And now in FY20, they're 15.3 mil operating EBITDA. So they've become more profitable as their um, product mix has changed. And you could potentially take two things as an indicator that, um, you know, shifting towards these other products has helped them become more profitable. So the unit economics have been skewed towards um, artwork, homewares, et cetera, and less towards t-shirts. But at the same time, we also don't know whether that's gonna necessarily the case because, you know, the operating EBITDA could be driven by other things and not necessarily the unit economics of, you know, their product contributions. Absolutely right. I think I want to pivot the conversation to another issue, which is, well, it's not an issue. It's, it's their unique, their differentiator, their, their uh, unique value proposition, which to me is that they're an on-demand uh, print business. So rather than them holding a whole bunch of T-shirts in stock, which might come out of fashion sometime soon, then you're left with a whole bunch of uh, cargo holds full of t-shirts which no one wants they're print on demand and mm. and that means that they won't actually slap the design on a t-shirt until you've ordered it and there's an efficiency there because you're not creating products uh without already knowing that it's going to be bought there's already that transaction which has been made and so it's a very efficient product and before this we we're talking about the comparison with etsy do you want to talk a little bit about how you see these companies differentiating themselves yeah so good question because i think etsy's are, are a really good uh comparable for um redbubble given that they're both kind of artistic marketplace businesses um i think uh like you said redbubble is kind of an on-demand fulfillment which is something will get printed when an order is placed uh, which means they don't have like hordes of inventory and stock kind of just sitting around um, whereas a business like Etsy, whilst also a marketplace business, relies on the seller or the producer of the content or the manufacturer to actually build a product and then have that product ready to ship. And they do all the shipping themselves. Um, they have to work out how to post something, who to post it to, um, insure it, et cetera. Um, they have to do everything themselves. So it is purely a marketplace business where Redbubble has kind of this retail and um, supply chain element to it. But I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because that supply chain that Redbubble have, have made them a very well-oiled production machine. You know, they talk about how, you know, it's taken them years and years to build up um, this fulfillment and on-demand retail model. And they, they say it's unparalleled to any other company. Um, it's probably doubtful. <laughs> But, um, you know, that kind of well-oiled delivery machine is still a very attractive part of their business. And it shows that they've managed to integrate both the content um, marketplace part of their business and the fulfillment part of their business. For sure. Another risk I'll throw you away is, is about intellectual property and IP. And you mentioned how they're starting to get into the licensing game where they'll partner up with certain brands like Rick and Morty and start, you know, producing some essentially fan content, which helps build up communities within those brands themselves. Lots of brands these days for marketing are looking for organic uh, advertising, organic promotion, and obviously having fans making uh, posters and t-shirts and mugs of your product is a way of not feeling like something's overly produced by a brand. Uh, making it feel very organic and very 
consumable by, by us who, who buy products. But there's obviously a risk there where if companies aren't signing on, you know, if Disney or something decides that they're taking a really hard line to some of the T-shirts and materials or products designs that are being put onto Redbubble and start slapping on all these infringement notices, you could get a large part of that library diminished if companies start taking that stance. And I do think there are some tailwinds in terms of just generally in, in the business world of people becoming much more protective of their IP and their, their property rights. You see things like you know Seinfeld and Friends getting sold now for millions, hundreds of millions of dollars now because people really understand the value of past products being licensed into the future. And I, I think Redbubble came into an ecosystem with the internet it was a little bit free reign. People could obviously mm. put lots of things up on the internet, could watch movies without fear of, of these things being uh, taken down or an infringement notice being given. But I think that that age of the internet is starting to die down and we might be getting to a phase where it's much more common for companies to be sending out infringement notices and preventing people from infringing on their copyright. Yeah, I, I actually agree with that. It's definitely a huge risk for their business if because they rely on this intellectual property in the form of content um, to then sell and generate revenue. Um, but I think Redbubble have started to, um, you know, automate um, a platform within kind of the back end of their business to help with taking down content that then infringes on intellectual property um, you know, they talk about in the annual report as IP being quite a big risk and they've started to automate um, both the checking of potential IP as well as removing content that has potentially infringed on someone else's IP um, and then checking it manually. Um, they've also um, kind of called out that they've had a few favourable litigation decisions, um, you know, in the past couple of years, which, you know, has kind of helped them work out the nuances behind IP. So whilst I agree, huge risk, um, you know, I think the tailwinds behind Redbubble showing that they're thinking about this risk and working out how to mitigate it. Well, speaking of tailwinds, I don't think we can end this episode without talking a little bit about COVID-19. I mean, from what I can see, it's been nothing but uh, a benefit for Redbubble's business. Uh, obviously, they, they pivoted quite quickly into producing masks. Uh, and everyone wants um, a mask which is a little bit more their personality, unique, not just black or, or grey or that sort of colour. So they're obviously producing that. Can you see any reason why COVID-19 might put a, a damper on their operations in the future? Yeah, so this is actually quite a good point because prior to, um, you know, the start of FY or 2020, prior to covid um, Redbubble always traded around the $1.50 to $2 mark since it listed. And since COVID Co happened and the kind of acceleration into online platforms, um, Redbubble has gone from, you know, being a, a $1.50 business to being a $6 business. So they've really benefited um, from COVID-19 and that acceleration onto online sales and e-commerce. I think as... Um, you know, the economy starts to recover in Australia um, and in, you know, Redbubble's largest market, North America, as they start to roll out the vaccine. Um, I think there's going to be questions around 
how sustainable that e-commerce push is going to be. Will they continue to sustain the same level of growth they've received over the past you know, year or so because of COVID? Um, they point out in the annual report that their um, fourth quarter year in year growth was like 120% um, in North America, um, which is, is crazy. It's, it's such crazy growth in comparison to previous years. And so I think uh, I would question how sustainable that growth is, especially as consumers shift back to traditional retail. But given that they're, you know, I got a pretty good customer retention, I think it's about a 40%. Um, hopefully that some of the customers who used Redbubble uh, over the COVID period um, remain on. And then hopefully the artists who started to use Redbubble to generate revenue also stay on. Well, I think that last part is, uh, is one we can actually focus on because the pandemic has affected a lot of different industries in different ways. But one which has been fairly universal is the artist industry, people who produce artwork or plays, musicals, the creative industries. And if they're in a spot where they're finding it difficult to monetize their skills because they can't have a show, they can't have people come to their events, and they're looking at their skills, you know, 511,000 artists are on Redbubble. I think that they're probably procuring a couple more because of the COVID-19 pandemic because yes, they're just absolutely. looking for work, looking for freelancing. Uh, and it's a sustainable business model because they can, if you're an artist, you can pop up a design there and potentially monetize it for the rest of your life if you keep getting T-shirt sales from it. Absolutely. So I do think that's a bit of a tailwind. Do you have anything else to add before we finish up, Albie? Yeah, I've got a kind of a quick question. Um, kind of looking into the future, Dan, what are the kind of things you want to see Redbubble do to then help sustain them and continue that competitive advantage? You know, if you had a crystal ball and, um, you know, you looked into it, like what, what are the big kind of growth factors that you think Redbubble should start to invest in or will, would help Redbubble's business? For me, it's about connectivity with some of those big brands. Uh, we mentioned Rick and Morty. Uh, I don't think they've got any partnership or cooperation with Disney, but that's you know the sort of level of a franchise which would be a complete game changer. If you started having licensee rights to the Marvel franchise or something like that, you could just imagine the amount of content that mm. you could have on your platform mm. that would drive so many sales into the future. Yep. And you know, when I read the number 511,000 artists on the site, and I think there was, it was what, they're generating about $67 million of revenue for those artists. To me, that screams there's just thousands of dud designs on this website, which no one is touching. Can you imagine uh, if you were the only person on Redbubble who'd never sold <laughs> a design? <laughs> Like, do you I, get a notice? Like, you need to leave this platform. <laughs> I expect there's quite a few artists who their designs aren't getting enough love. And mm. it, it's YouTube would have the same issue where there's so many videos which are just, you know, garbage. Mm. Um, and you get a really bloated platform then. It's not, you know, when I log on to Redbubble, I don't necessarily think of it as quality. I think of it as quantity and I might find something unique within that that pile. And so for me them pivoting towards these license agreements gives them that quality to their brand, which can be a driver of sustainable traffic to their website. Mm. Uh, so that's where I'd like to see them go. How about you? 
Yeah, you're actually right. I just had a look on that point. Um, 80% of sales are made by 6% of their artists. That's uh, from um, FY19, so not last year, but the year before that, um, which, you know, is such a, a, such a concentration of sales. Uh, it really shows that there is a really long tail of um, artists who aren't getting much love. Um, I think to answer your question for me, I want to see Redbubble um, kind of integrate more technology into their business. I think I was thinking about this today when I've got, you know, three empty frames um, in my room and I want to be able to visualise what the artwork would look like, on, you know, um, on my wall using, you know, AR or VR and see, you know, whether the, how the art will sit, um, homewares I buy, how that interplays with the rest of my furniture. Um, similar to how IKEA is doing it um, with their app. I want to see Redbubble kind of start to pivot towards that. Great. Well, let's finish up there, Albert. Thank you for listening to Fresh Capital, a podcast about learning how companies operate in a refreshingly simple way. Please support our podcast by rating it five stars on Apple iTunes. Subscribe and follow. Every follow and every rating really helps. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.